successful media and public affairs consultant, accomplished entrepreneur and national writer and contributor, attorney who served in the Missouri House of Representatives, worked in the White House and CNN, thought leader, entrepreneur, and host who takes the conversation to the next level. Prepare to get rare access to fascinating guests. You're connected. You have the it factor. You've joined Brill Nation. Get a hooter. Connect with Jason on Twitter at Jason Grill. Connect with the show on Twitter at Grill Nation Show. And online at GrillNationShow.com. Welcome your host of Grill Nation. Always dressed up and ready to go even in a radio studio. Here's Jason Grill. Hello and welcome to the Grill Nation Show here on 980 AM KMBZ. I'm your host, Jason Grill. Thanks for joining me again today and each and every week here on Grill Nation. Whether you're listening on the radio on 980 AM KBZ or on iTunes via podcast, we appreciate it. Also, I appreciate you listening today if you are online at grillnationshow.com. Very exciting show today. It's uh, going to test uh, some of my knowledge. We're going to have a guest that I uh, actually uh, very excited to talk to because this is an area that I don't know much about, and we'll get to that here in a second. But first, I want to thank our partners and supporters of the show Title sponsors of the show are MoBank and BOK Financial and Trust and Two West Companies and Ryan Rink. Uh, contributors and guest hosts to the Grill Nation show include One Light Luxury Apartments and The Rieger and Jay Rieger and Co. and Ryan Maybe. Uh, on today's show, we're going to be joined by uh, MoBank and BOK Financial, a partner and supporter of Grill Nation. The CEO of MoBank and Executive Vice President of BOK Financial is joining me. Michael Viazzoli is back uh, for the show today. Welcome to the show, Michael. How are Thank you? Thank you. I'm doing great. You guys have uh, been here a lot recently. Uh, we had to change some scheduling with the show, so I've got to see you uh, you guys in studio a uh, decent amount here recently. And uh, Today will be another a great show that we're going to be doing. Uh, we are going to have on Deborah Sandler, who's the General Director and the CEO of the Lyric Opera of Kansas City. The website is kcopera.org. Uh, to be truthful with you, Michael, when you when you told me that you're bringing Deborah on the show today, I was uh, a little nervous because I don't know much about the Lyric Opera well, or about opera as a whole. So that's <laughs> part part of my task here is to help you expand your your mind. <laughs> but um, you know, it's it's a, a lot of probably what you're thinking is a lot of what I was thinking about six years ago. Uh, yeah, I remember. My dad just blaring this music in the house when I was growing up and, you know, at an age when you just wanted to sleep in on a Saturday and, uh, never gained a really appreciation for it. But then over time, as my kids got more involved in music, I had an opportunity to connect here. Um, really found a passion for lyric, uh, for, for opera, a real passion for the lyric. And a lot of that has to do with the passion that, that, uh, Deborah Sandler just, you know, it oozes out of her in terms of, what she wants to do for the for the art form, but also what she wants to do particularly for our hometown opera. And she uh, will be real interesting to talk to because she is not a nor, uh, actual Kansas Citian originally. Mm-hmm. She traveled. She worked. She grew up in the East Coast, uh, Philadelphia. Went to college out there, and uh, actually had some opportunities to work throughout her life in this industry. Uh, one of which was in Louisville before mm-hmm. she came to Kansas City. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to talk to her about. One, her background, and two, you know, what's it like being back, in, being in Kansas City, and three, you know, how do you keep the opera um, relevant to mm-hmm. this generation today and the next generation? Well, and she's like several of us who didn't know much about Kansas City, and when the opportunity came up to consider moving here, the more you learn, the more you love it, and then 
you know, you can't really pry us out of here once, once we're, once we're entrenched, but that's just the way our community is. And then, um, you know, with the lyric itself here in town, it is, it is one of those performing arts that, that, um, uh, I think is really underappreciated for just the quality of the performances, the content, uh, the quality of the people that are help putting on the production and, and running the company. And, uh, it's one of those things that a big focus for theirs and for me is to how do we get that next generation of, of person to really get exposed to it, learn more about it and really come to appreciate it. And there's just lots of ways to kind of learn about it. There's lots of ways to really appreciate what's going on at the, at the company. Yeah, there is. And they do so much. And I, we'll get into that on the show. And one of the things is that's exciting is that you do perform in the Kaufman uh, Performing Arts Center. Yeah. It's, uh, uh, which, it's which world opened class. in 2012, I believe, or 2011. Yeah. Uh, and that kind of changed the game for the Lyric Opera as far as performance level. And, and it did. The, uh, the building, uh, where the company was in, uh, before there was a transition in general director, uh, Kaufman Center was opening up. There's a, huge wave of, of, uh, call it transition within our community on a lot of different levels, not just with the Kaufman Center. But if you remember at that time, there's a lot of other development going on. There was a lot of investment going on a lot of different ways. So there's all these things that really, really seem to kind of converge at the same time. Mm-hmm. And the great facility too, uh, down in the East Crossroads, right? Yep. Uh, it's a, a be- technically a couple buildings and, uh, I still, and, and it predates me, so I don't have all the background to it. But if you think about what has changed in that area in the last 10 years, the lyrics been there for the last seven years. Um, you know, Tension Envelope has been there for a long, long time, which is just a couple blocks away. So mm-hmm. Bill Berkeley deserves a lot of, a lot of appreciation for their commitment to that part of it of town. But the lyric came in and, you know, it's a, it's a big investment. And a part that today looks a lot more developed than it did before. Mm-hmm. Kind of a modern looking building too. Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah. And technically as, uh, uh, very sound functionally is exactly what the company needs for that. And uh, I, I believe is the envy of just almost every opera company in the United States. Really? Yeah. Well, it's a, that's it's the a thing I, we don't talk about enough in our city is, is we have this performing arts center that, and we'll ask uh, Deborah about it, but it's in the top ten in the world, right? Uh, the Kaufman Center for the Performing yeah. Arts is, and then your your Lyric Opera, building. and then the Lyric Opera buildings. Just the you know administrative side is is a, it's a beautiful kind of a great environment for creativity and very modern and a great place where they host uh, First Friday. So mm-hmm. um, it's fun to go have a cocktail there and look around. But the actual production facility allows for them to have a full set built or put together within the building so they can test to see what works, what doesn't work so they can rehearse for weeks long before they actually have to go and put it on the main stage. Uh, plenty of room to build uh, sets if necessary. There's rooms to make costumes. There's wig to, uh, uh, rooms to work on wigs and other design things. So um, there's, there's not many places in the country that other opera companies have, have the benefit of, of having like that. Michael Viazzoli with us, guest host and contributor of the Grill Nation show, uh, executive vice president of VOK Financial and presidency of MoBank. Um, gonna be fun. I appreciate you bringing Deborah on. We'll get to Deborah 
after the break. Uh, everything going good with you? We yes. know we just chatted a few weeks ago, but everything else good. I, I noticed you have uh, Sydney in here again Sydney's today. Sydney's in here with me again today. <laughs> she's uh, she's uh, one of our rising stars um, in our executive training program, and it's fun to kind of have her on board and uh, kind of start her her path um, in with the company and in her career, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um but I, I, I did want to take a moment to say thank you again for, I know when you were a legislator, you did work for autism. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know it was uh, uh, a day recently where we were kind of nationally recognizing uh, autism and the efforts that should go behind it. It's, a, it's an issue that directly impacts a lot of us at the bank, and mm-hmm. your work on that has made a huge difference in people's lives. So no, thank, thank you, you very much. That yep. was one thing, if I look back on politics, that was successful. And yeah. We're, both parties kind of came together to do that for yep. uh, parents and families and get them insurance reform and uh it was exciting yeah that's one of those things you smile about good look at that wall and you see that bill sign it makes you it actually worked right government worked once in a while but thank you for saying that you're out it's a it's a big deal and i don't think you get recognized enough thank you so much uh michael v is always with us and we'll be right back after the break we're going to talk about the lyric opera you're listening to girls Hello and welcome back to KMBZ 980 AM and the Grill Nation show. I'm your host, Jason Grill. Thanks for joining us again today. I appreciate you uh, following us and joining us each and every week here on the show. You connect with me on Twitter at Jason Grill and at Grill Nation Show. The website is grillnationshow.com. I want to thank our uh, partner and supporter and a friend of mine, Michael Viazzoli from uh, MoBank and BOK Financial. Michael is the executive vice president of BOK Financial and the president and CEO of MoBank. He joins us each and every month, uh, and we're lucky to have him as a uh, partner and friend of the show. Welcome back, Michael. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. Good, good. Every month you, uh, you seem to bring in an A-list uh, person here in Kansas City that is really doing amazing things. And today will be no different. We will have on Deborah Sandler, who's the general director and CEO of the Lyric Opera of Kansas City. And I wanted you to introduce her uh, because she's now in studio, and I wanted you kind of to lead off the interview here. I'm happy to do that. Thank so you. Um, I've been involved with the Lyric Opera for, well, how long have you been here, Deborah? Uh, six I, years? Um, yeah, it'll be six, six years, years in June. Yep. And uh, I had just recently moved into the role I was uh, at the bank, and Deborah had recently kind of moved into her position at the Lyric, and I was looking for something where I can get involved in, in the community. Mm-hmm. And as it turns out, um, we had some previous connection with the Lyric, and so Deborah and I got together and said, you know, kind of what what could we do? And so I was thinking about joining the board at this time, and I, I really wasn't quite sure if that's what I wanted to do. But as soon as I met her and we had um, an opportunity to kind of get to know one another and I got a sense for her background and where she was going with, with the Lyric, um, being that I don't know really anything about opera uh, i was in uh, okay. you can just tell from kind of the way she approached it her background her passion for it i knew it was an organization i wanted to get involved in. very cool yeah well, deborah welcome to the show uh thanks jason thanks for Glad the introduction <laughs> michael it's great to have deborah in studio um tell us about your background because I, i've looked a little into it and before we get into what the lyric does and uh, where it's located and all the great things you have going on um tell us about your path to kansas city because i think it's pretty interesting you've 
you've uh, traveled from the East Coast originally. Is that right? That's correct. So the Lyric Opera of Kansas City is actually the third company where I've had the title of general director. I was uh, born and raised uh, on the East Coast, grew up in Philadelphia. And up until 1998, I had lived my entire life either in Philadelphia, Manhattan, or Princeton, New Jersey. Mm -hmm. Um, In in Princeton, uh, the first opera company I ran, which was not the first performing arts organization I ran, but the first opera company I ran was was a summer opera festival in Princeton. Mm -hmm. And I was there from 1987 to 1998. And then I was recruited to go to Louisville, Kentucky, and run the Kentucky Opera. And this Yankee East Coast girl um, <laughs> had a learning curve going to the South, going to Louisville. Some people consider it mid- Midwestern. Some people consider it Southern. But it has a lot of Southern roots, very different culture, but another very great, warm entrepreneurial community. But it's in the Eastern time zone, am I right? Or it's, is it not? It, it's, I've been there many times. The mayor is great, by the way. Um, I've never but, thought about it being yeah, either Greg. Midwest yeah. or East Coast. I just thought of it being Kentucky. Yeah, it's yeah, weird, it's, right? Yeah, I, I'm right. Kind of, I, I don't know where to put it, but right. it's, you know, well, we're obviously Midwest but here, but folks. it's not far away. Yeah. Well, Lua, the, the history of the, um, the Eastern time zone had to do with some very powerful families. Every city sort of has them, and there yeah. were powerful families and powerful corporations that they started, and they wanted to be in tune with the um, stock exchanges on the East ah, Coast. There so that there are cities that are directly north and directly south of Louisville, which are not in the Eastern time zone. They just sort of carved out a little niche. <laughs> Louisville's a special place. Yes, it is. And so um, I, then I ran the Kentucky Opera, and okay. then I came here. Mm-hmm. That's very cool. So tell us about your passion for music, because I'm looking at your resume. You uh, went to Temple and got your uh, bachelor's there and then your master's at NYU, both in the musical field. So you kind of knew you wanted to get involved with this early on. Right. I, I was one of those very musical kids who, you know, my mother, my parents brought my my brother. My brother was four years older than me, a piano, okay. when he was seven and I was three, and they made him take lessons and I started playing. And I think then they knew that I was a musical kid. Mm. So from there, I started to sing and I started to play several instruments and went to weekend programs like All City Choir and, and summer programs. And I had a very, very rich, I'm happy to say, musical education because at that time, our school system mm. invested quite a lot in the arts. Mm-hmm. So um, then the teenage years hit. And then mm. shall we just say I had other pursuits that had less to do with practicing the piano anyway. And um, by the time college came around, I I was a math major. Oh, wow. Um, I have a lot of sort of math geeks in my family. Okay. And my brain works that way, though. I think music education has something to do with it. Okay. I think there was a correlation between music and math. Mm-hmm. And uh, finally, by the end of my sophomore year, I had had it. And I said, okay, I'm either going to the music school or the theater school. So for one year, they let me be in both schools. And then I decided that music would win out. Cool. So um, I got my undergraduate degree in music mm-hmm. and then went to NYU to study musicology and got my master's degree, studied a lot of early music, finished all my doctoral coursework, uh, moved back to Philadelphia, was supposed to be writing a dissertation, and instead got involved with a very young ch- full-time chamber orchestra, one of the first in the country. They were Curtis grads. And that was it. I said, you know, this is much more interesting and much more fun and much more engaging engaging than a um, a long time in the library stacks. Not mm. that I don't like libraries, but um, <laughs> I decided the library stacks weren't for me and, and I wanted to be out in the world doing it. Mm-hmm. 
Michael, I have no musical talents whatsoever. Um, no. Growing up, I played in second grade. We, we learned how to play the recorder, I think. Uh, I, I tried to learn how to play the guitar in law school. Yeah. I, I learned like two notes of a song. You know, did you have any? I mean, I, I guess I wonder when kids really get started in this and when is the age? You know, because you talk about sports and you see all these these you know, like golf was, for instance, right now, the prodigies playing when they're like four years old, you know, and then. Yeah. I mean, is music the same way? And I had no musical talent whatsoever. You know, I guess I need to brag a little bit. I'm pretty good at the air guitar. Okay. And the air There's, drums. The, our former producer of the show actually judged a air guitar competition. Yeah, they, have they have those. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Um, but I, I really don't. Um, being a Swiss descent, my, my parents wanted me to play the accordion at some point, And that was a, a big disaster. But with, <laughs> Did you have with, Lederhosen, too? Uh, no. No, okay. no, not for that. that. That's Saturday night. But... Um, <laughs> But with my wife, she played clarinet as a child, and then with our four children, uh, each of them has been learning an instrument over time. Mm. And so that's always been in the house. I always think it's great. And I think, to your point about math and, and music and also just and how the brain works, having that musical background, I think it's really benefited our children. It's kind of how they've grown up with, you know, understanding my influence around the house, you have to offset that. So math. Math and music are, are real positives. And then when I got kind of interested in being involved in the opera, at the same time, one of my daughters was um, uh, in the, uh, the high school choir, and the other daughter was kind of involved in the theater. And so I saw this as a way to kind of connect with them. Mm-hmm. And then here comes now uh, Robert, who's a junior in high school, and he's been in percussion. He played piano and then percussion, and now he's a drum major for his high school marching band. So we've got that connection. And Nico, our now 11-year-old, he's playing the trumpet, and he loves it. And so this is really being able because, to connect this all this. important to you guys, too. And your oh, yeah. yeah. And, and I think, and, and what I've also loved is throughout the high school career of our, our kids, and even Nico now, when he was 9 or 10, I started bringing them to the opera. Right. We never see Lisa. Yeah. Never see his wife. <laughs> no, none of spots. Right. right. <laughs> but he's always bringing the kids and the kids bring friends. Okay. And, yeah. you know, it's sort of a, it's sort of a treat for us all. Who's Michael bringing tonight? And how many <laughs> friends are they bringing? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but That's it is so cool. uh, something that music is, like, really, really important to us. And, and as much as we can influence that in high school education or just the uh, curriculum and the middle school and the elementary school, it's always something we keep fighting for in a big way i agree deborah yeah. sandler is our guest today general director and ceo of the lyric opera of kansas city a couple minutes left in this first segment talk to us about how you uh you made it from kentucky to kansas city and how that transition went for you and what it was like coming to kansas city for well the first time. actually um i left um the kentucky opera there was a couple of years hiatus between the time i left kentucky opera and the time i came to lyric opera okay. i took some time off um, lived in a couple of different places. I actually worked with a uh, a new art college that was beginning and did external relations and waited for the right opportunity. And Kansas City called and I said, hello. <laughs> and, yeah. and I came and I interviewed and and it was very exciting. It was a very special time for the Lyric because it was it coincided with the opening of the Coffin Center for the Performing Arts. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden this company, which is now celebrating its 60th year, was jettisoned into an entire new era. So not only did we have a new performing arts facility, which is 
state-of-the-art, one of the, always ranked as like one of the 10 best in the world. We also built our opera center, which is how Michael entered, but um, we built our own administrative and production center. Mm. So it was a wonderful opportunity. So you are uh, located in the crossroads, is that correct? The Lyric Opera is located in the crossroads. Whereabouts in the crossroads area? We're on um, 18th Street. We have two buildings, so we go from Holmes through to Charlotte. Okay. Michael, you go there often for meetings and whatnot? Yeah. Yeah, and and we have board meetings there and community yes. meetings there, and that's uh, an area that's really developing. Uh, we have first yeah. Fridays there too. Yeah. Well, and I will tell you that the the lyric when they decided to build the buildings where they did were definitely kind of at the front edge of that development. Mm-hmm. And I would make a point. I would suggest to you that because we made the investment that we did, and that was actually predates me, but we as a company, um, you know, that's a. $10, $12 million investment in that part of town, right. which now, if you were to take a Google map of today versus, what, seven years ago, it's totally different. Yeah, definitely growing quickly. Yeah, and but it's a beautiful facility, and, and maybe we can talk more about that. We'll I'd love to. Michael Viazzoli is our uh, partner and supporter of the Grill Nation show, MoBank, BOK Financial, guest hosting with me today. Deborah Sandler is with us today, the general director and CEO of the Can- the Lyric Opera of Kansas City. The website is kcopera.org. We'll be right back after the break. I got that sunshine in my pocket. Got that good soul in my feet. I feel that hot blood in my body when it drops. Welcome back to the Grill Nation show here on KMBZ 980 AM. Thank you for listening to us today. Also, I appreciate you joining us on iTunes via podcast and at grillnationshow.com where I'll post photos of our guests and more information about our partners and supporters, one of which that is with me today, MoBank, BOK Financial, uh, CEO and President of MoBank, Michael Viazzoli, and the uh, Executive Vice President of BOK Financial. We're talking to Deborah Sandler, who's the general director and CEO of the, excuse me, the Lyric Opera of Kansas City. Website is kcopera.org. Uh, the opera, Lyric Opera, is located in the Kansas City Crossroads community, and it uh, is a transformational, uh, creates transformational opera experiences through performances, outreach, and educational initiatives. They also aim to develop talent, repertoire, programs, and productions that bring the best of Lyric Opera of Kansas City to the world. It was founded in 1958, and again, we have Deborah Sandler, who is the general director and CEO with us again today in studio. Deborah, let's talk about, we've, we've kind of got to your uh, background on how you got to Kansas City. Um, and let's talk about kind of the background of the Lyric Opera, and uh, it's been around for quite a while, and we'll talk about some of the things that you all do in the community today. But kind of give us a history lesson on um, what it does and what you guys bring to the community. Okay, well, it was started by three people. Um, Russell Patterson, who was the founding director and who was with the company until the very early 90s. And his two partners were Henry Haska and Mike Berbilia. And the three of them had this idea that they were going to start a company. When the company actually started, I believe it was in the Rock Hill Theater. And what was interesting was that it was a company that was founded with the notion that they would perform theatrically viable operas in English and only in English. Mm. If you come to the opera today, you hear 
opera in its original language and we make use of the best technology, something called the Figaro system, so that the translation of what you're hearing is right in the seat in front of you. And some companies, in some houses which are not as advanced as the Coffin Center, they're projected over the stage. But in our house, they're on the seat in front of you. And as far as we know, the only other places that have it are the Metropolitan Opera and the Santa Fe Opera. But the company started um, with the notion of only in English with with the idea that opera needed to be accessible. Mm-hmm. You know, you wouldn't read a book in French. You would read a book in German if you wanted to understand it. Right. And yeah. so um, that changed in the early 90s with the departure of Russell. But the company was very um, innovative for its time. We're all very sensitive to what our audience wants to see and not throwing too much contemporary work at them at one time. We do, but not too much. Mm. But in the early days, Russell was very plucky, and they did all sorts of things. Uh, they did several world premieres. They did a lot of musical theater. And um, some of the things that they did now we don't consider contemporary, because if they were done in 1960, they were, you know, they're 60 years old. But um, it was a company that grew gradually, had a very strong following, and then the company evolved. It became more and more professional as time went on. Um, I'm the third general director of the company. Mm. Uh, that title itself is something of a mystery to most people. What's a general director? You know, people don't salute when I walk down the hall, <laughs> anything like that, yeah. except for Michael. She, she, she asks us to do that, but we don't. Curious, Michael throws me bones. Where did you guys <laughs> have the performances before the uh, art center, or the performing arts center was At built? the Lyric Theater. Mm-hmm. The Lyric Theater. And where is that at? It's around- Street? Uh, oh, okay, 10, okay. 1029 Central, okay, I believe, yeah, is the yes. address. It's now becoming a Y. Yeah. Oh, yes. Plan. Yeah. Okay. yeah. No, exactly um, where that is now. But, but the facility was very charming. Um, wasn't originally built as an opera house, which meant that there were some challenges in terms of producing opera. Uh, there are more efficient ways and less efficient ways to produce opera. And a more efficient way is to create a product that other companies can rent or share in the expense of. Mm. And because of the idiosyncrasies of that particular theater, it made it more difficult um, to, to produce. It, it was smaller, which it made just it wasn't cheaper. Built for what the company really needed to take that next step in its evolution. Mm-hmm. And my my view of it, and granted, this predates my involvement, but there was a vision about where they wanted to go with the company. There was then at the same time a recognition that in order to do that, they needed, um, well, they had the opportunity to coordinate that transition along with the opening of the Performing Arts Center, mm-hmm. which then also gave the company an opportunity to find its new workspace, its new home. And that kind of gets us back to the building off of homes or the buildings, technically. One, you got the administrative center, which it's just a beautiful facility in and of itself, but the benefit of it is right next door is a giant production facility, and in that is a lot of lots of rooms for the different aspects of the opera that need to be prepared, the costumes and the wigs and all that stuff. But then there's a huge section that allows for woodworking to build all the sets, which we you know, the company didn't have before. But then they can roll all that out into this giant area which is basically designed to replicate what the stage is at the performing arts center so they can set up and rehearse all in that building Hmm. before actually going over the performing arts center to 
to execute right on the production. That's nice. And all you need to do is back up trucks, break it down, move it in, and and off they go. So there's there's lots of different aspects to it that made it a lot more convenient. That time. Oh yeah, versatile. So so tell us about the performances or the season. Like, is this? Are we bringing people in? Are these Kansas City people performing? How does that all work? Both. Let's do the layman's. Both. Okay. Okay. So, um, just from 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 square zero or circle zero, um, you know, mo- many people will go, for example, to the musical theater series that we have in town, mm-hmm. and what they get is a traveling show. So a show will open on Broadway, and then a couple of years later, the producers will say, we are now going to create the traveling tour. Right. So they recast it and basically think of it this way, a really, really big truck. Everybody rolls onto the truck. The scenery rolls on. The lights roll on. The cast rolls on. The instruments roll on. Everything comes, and then it drives and drives and drives and drives, and it'll land in Kansas City. And the back of the truck comes off, and the whole kit and caboodle roll off the truck and then go into one of our theaters and do a run of a week, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not the way we produce. Mm-hmm. Everything we do is tends to be more organic. So... When we do a show, we have to decide what show we want to do. We have to decide, is there scenery available someplace in the world, or are we going to have to build it? Um, um, what, are we, what clothing are we going to put these people in? Are we going to build costumes, or are we going to rent costumes? I spend a lot of my time listening to singers, either in audition or going throughout the world and hearing different people sing. So we cast every principal artist, and they come from throughout the world. Mm. Okay, Not just wow. American, but from out the world. It's gotten a little trickier with visas, mm. but every single person who's on the stage has been placed there. Now, what is the Kansas City part of it? We have a phenomenal chorus. So in almost every show, there's a chorus, and they are our own chorus. It's a union chorus. Um, we are very pleased that we have such a great one. Every visiting conductor and director comments on how wonderful our chorus is. Uh, we have stagehands who put the show on. We have artisans here in town who make the props, do the wigs. You know, that part of your costume is, you know, you have clothing, but you have a wig and you have makeup. And we have props, which are the things on stage. And we have furniture and we have scenery. And so it's a combination of the best of the world and the best of Kansas City. And when we're done the run of the show, we rehearse for three weeks. Then we move everybody onto the stage the coffin and we're there for about a week before we open and when the show ends our best yeah. friends it's like overnight camp our friends tearfully leave <laughs> and they hope to come back again and our course starts to get ready for the next show interesting you know another that's, big element that's a great explanation is kind of demonstration of how performing arts in kansas city kind of can really work together is i mean the symphony uh, uh executes on all the all the music for the right they're the orchestra that plays in the pit for yeah. the opera so we have a very close working relationship with uh kansas city symphony great partners and how many performances do you all have a year so we do four shows and generally we do four of each so that's 16 on the big stage from time to time we will add one but it's 16 performances on the main stage but then we have lots of other programming that happens mm-hmm. tell us about that okay well uh one of the programs that's been now concluding its its second year is called the Explorations Program 
and the goal of the exploration programs is to present more intimate performances in smaller spaces and to take people on a journey, hence the name Explorations. So we'll do the kind of music that we can't do on a really big stage. It'll be music for four singers. It'll be music for three singers and a string quartet. It's very intimate and um, it's unusual music. Mm. And it's been a wonderful program. We partner with other people as well. So it's been a great series and we have uh, three more planned for next year as well. And if you go to your website, kcopera.org, you also um, look like you have camps. Uh, opera we have, camps. So, well, education's a whole nother yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. do a lot of education. Okay, tell us about that. And how, what, what are the ages that you educate and um, work we, with? we are a lifelong learning company, but we'll start with the little bitties. We have a spring break opera camp and we have a summer opera camp. Then we have programs for high school students specifically. We also go into the schools and we produce a small opera that the kids are involved in. Mm. And then we have programs that we take to prepare them to come to the dress rehearsals. We have hundreds and hundreds of kids who come to the dress rehearsals of our shows. All over Kansas City. All over Kansas City. In the region. It's pretty amazing to see those kids' faces. It's something that a lot of them have never been exposed to. Is right in front of them. I want to talk about that in the next segment. Uh, we're here with Deborah Sandler from the uh, Lyric Opera of Kansas City, general director and CEO, and Michael Viazzoli, uh, partner and supporter of the Grill Nation show with MoBank and BOK Financial. I think it'd be interesting if we can get into uh, the next generation. Mm-hmm. And we, we talk about education there and really kind of talking about how do you impact that next generation and have an impact on the community as well as, um, you know, how do parents get involved to really kind of help their kids get more involved with the Lyric Opera and and make it fun, interesting, exciting, and and really kind of showcase it for the next generation. If that sounds good to you guys, we'll talk about that. We're listening to the Grill Nation show. We'll be right back after the break. Welcome back to the Grill Nation show. We're in KMBZ 980 a.m. today. I'm your host, Jason Grill. Thanks for uh, staying with us for the show today. It's been very informative. I am learning a lot and am excited to uh, check out the Lyric Opera of Kansas City. The website is kcopera.org. Again, joined by Michael Viazzoli from Bank of Kansas City and MoBank. And, uh, excuse me, BOK Financial and MoBank. Uh, and, uh, Deborah Sandler from the Lyric Opera of Kansas City, a gen- general director and CEO. The Lyric Opera of Kansas City's mission is uh, providing transformational opera experiences and a broad service which captures the hearts and minds of our communities. Uh, Deborah, one of those things that we talked about was the next generation and getting them more involved. Uh, what are your What is your uh, general plan to to do stuff like that and to really kind of make sure that the, the opera continues to grow in our society at a time where it's maybe pretty hard to do? Right. Well, um, I will say that. Um, we think we have one of the youngest audiences in town right now, so that's a good place to start. Mm. Um, we have a young friends group who are also working to accomplish that, um, but I would say that um, in addition to education, in addition to First Fridays, what we try to do is to communicate with the younger audience and to meet them where they live. So that means that in our communications and in telling our story, we try to use those tools and those sort of platforms which are most easily accessible. So, of course, this is a euphemism for social platforms, Mm -hmm. right, digital communication. Um, We try to 
present a lot of different programs and to tell people what we're doing and to do good programs. Um, you know, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, no matter what age you are, quality has to win out because we are aware how competitive we have to be. Mm-hmm. And we try to use state-of-the-art technology. Uh, we try to do things that will interest people. Uh, there's kind of a um, something of, uh, I think, perhaps a misperception. Um, so a lot of operas that are being written today, and we do do, we do four shows, as I mentioned, and one of them is generally contemporary work. Two tend to be pillar operas, and one tends to be a little bit less well-known. And um, there's a perception that in order to engage young people, you have to do sort of socially hip opera. And the truth of the matter is that all of the research shows Mm -hmm. that people who are coming to the opera for the first time want to see a work that they've heard of. An analogy. If you go to Paris for the first time, you want to see the Eiffel Tower. If you're coming to the opera for the first time, you might want to see La Boheme. Mm -hmm. You might want to see Traviata. You might want to see Carmen. The big name shows. Um, but in everything that we do, we try to have sort of an edge to it. So one of the pieces that we did this year was called Everest. Everest is one of the most uh, visually sophisticated operas that, that, that has been ever created. Uh, it was based on the climb, the 1996 climb of, of Everest. John Krakauer wrote Into Thin Air. And we brought an enormous number of people to the opera who had not been before. Many of them were young. We are opening on April 28th and continuing on the 2nd, 4th, and 6th, a production of Barber of Seville. Barber of Seville is very well known because some of us grew up with the Bugs Bunny tunes. And everybody knows the tunes whether they realize it or not. It's a funny story, uh, but it, it has been updated slightly and it has been visioned as if it were a Pedro Almodovar movie. So there are chickens. There are wild costumes. It's really a lot of fun. It's a great first opera for people to come to. So, again, we try to do activities that involve young people. We try to do good work that will be of interest, and we have a very robust education program. We try to get the kids when they're young. And a lot of the young kids that we've gotten, we've then gotten their parents. Mm -hmm. You know, it's hard because what we know about our audience is that there's often a gap between 30 and 50 when parents are driving their kids around to activities and are very, very busy. Mm-hmm. We want to get them before so that they'll come back. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, it's it's been, for me, in my kind of continual education on all this, interesting in the sense that a um, uh, an Everest, which if you were just to kind of go explore it, you, you wouldn't necessarily say to yourself, I, this is an opera. Um, but once you're sitting there and you're, participating in it and you're you're soaking it in you really get a sense that this is like traditional kind of at its core is opera but just presented in a way that's very Mm non-traditional but for me the big education was people that uh, that are either on the board or other people that i would necessarily view as traditional opera lovers i was skeptical whether i wasn't i wasn't sure whether or not they would really what they would think of Everest and they loved it and they really did. So it told me this kind of bridges a lot of different areas, even though you would think it'd be more towards like the younger generation. I would appreciate that. And like Barbara Seville, uh, Carmen turned out, those are more traditional operas. But when I brought my kids, they love that stuff. Mm-hmm. And so it really 
bridges a lot more of those age brackets than you would traditionally think just because of the way, just because of kind of the, the atmosphere and the production itself. You know, opera's, opera is multidisciplinary and multidimensional. So it's not just people standing on stage singing. You're also seeing a light show. You're seeing a visual panorama, which is the scenery. You're, seeing, you're hearing an orchestra. You've you're had, seeing people uh, video. Move. Yeah, we usually have video. Yeah. I mean, it's, a, it's, a, it's an artistic feast for the eyes and the ears. Because if we do our job right, there's a lot to look at. Mm-hmm. The other piece of the education, <laughs> too, which yeah. bridges lots of, lots of age brackets. But with each of the productions coming up, there's, I forget what we call it, but like behind the scenes. Right, they're lectures. It's called At Ease with Opera. At Ease with Opera. So there's several different opportunities before the opera opens to get some background on it, to kind of learn aspects of it, and different angles of it, so that you go into it much more confident and educated on it. We, um, um, we started a, a program this year called Explore the Score, in which the director and the conductor of each show in a couple weeks prior, um, well, it's at our production center, um, people are invited to come, and they talk about what's special about the opera, what to listen for in the opera, what is, what is this composer's style. So it's a really good, you know, it's a really good window into what's happening. Very interesting stuff. I am captivated. I can't wait to check it out. I'm just trying to figure out what opera I want to go see this year. Barbara Seville. Barbara Seville. Barbara Seville. Okay, there's, <laughs> there's your answer there. The Barbara of Seville, wait? which will start on Saturday, April 28th, and go through May 6th. You talk about uh, creative endeavors and outlets. Let's talk about that for people and, and what the opera does for that because it truly is a good outlet and creative uh, peace of mind compared to what you get in the real world. So tell us, tell us, is that something that you like to talk about with um, with music being creative and an outlet for people? Absolutely. I mean, whenever anybody comes to the opera, I feel like I'm giving a big party. <laughs> and I want to entertain as well as I can. And there's a communal richness in coming and watching something together. But I want to ac- absolutely engage everyone sitting in the audience with what they're seeing on stage. And if, if you don't want to look at one thing, the great thing is you can look at something else. And it's entertainment, but it's also a way of storytelling that transports the person who's listening there. You know, we tell, we tell stories many times, but the addition of music and the visual elements changes the story. And sometimes you can hear things in a different way. I agree. Deborah Sandler has been our guest today. Uh, a lot of ways to get involved. KCOpera.org. You guys obviously have a lot of supporters, uh, donors and, uh, great endowment and just young friends groups. You have it all. Uh, and you can check that out at kcopera.org. Find out more information, see the performances, the 2018, 2019 season, get tickets, get, you know, get more involved, volunteer. You can do it all at kcopera.org. Deborah Sandler, uh, general director and CEO of the Lyric Opera of Kansas City. I appreciate you coming on the show today and sharing some other information about everything you've been up to and how awesome the Lyric Opera is of Kansas City. Let me just get in. We're starting next season with West Side Story. Okay. Yeah, there we go. I've I've heard of that one. I've heard of that one, Michael. Michael Viazzoli, BOK Financial, and uh, MoBank, thanks for uh, joining me today as well. Love being here. You've been listening to Grill Nation. We'll see you again next week. We'll talk to you soon, and thank you for joining us.